This is a Saddleback Church podcast. Today we're kicking off a new series called The Anchored Life. And if you were with us last week, Stacy kind of got us rolling with this. She talked about the eight-week challenge that we're going to do as a church family. And last week, many of you stepped up and you said, I'm going to read through the New Testament with the rest of the church. We've been talking about this all weekend long. And right now, we have just over 14,000 adults who have said yes to take the Anchored Life Challenge. And this is significant because there are going to be families that are changed. There are going to be so many of you that are new to this journey of faith that begin and start to understand God's love for you and begin relationship with him. And some of you today, maybe this is your first time here, or maybe you weren't here last week, uh, but I'm going to give an opportunity at the end of our time to take that challenge together. And before I jump into that, though, I want to make sure you know how excited I am about next weekend. Pastor Rick is going to be back to bring the message. This is his first time back uh, to teach since the transition happened, and we're so thrilled. I want to encourage you to be praying for him as he prepares this week. I also want to encourage you to make sure you're back, bring somebody with you, and let's celebrate. It's his 70th birthday, so we get to celebrate his birthday. I hope it's okay that I set his age. It's going to be, it's going to be a great weekend next weekend as Pastor Rick comes back. Now, today as we begin, uh, what I'd like to start with is just an overview of where we're going. So the next eight weeks, Each week, we're going to be reading through, during the week, sections of the Bible. And as we read through it, during the week, we're going to look at different chapters, different uh, books of the Bible. But on the weekends, we're going to highlight some of the major themes that we'll be reading throughout the course of this week. So this week, on Monday, the whole church who's, who's taken the Anchored Life Challenge will start by reading through the Gospel of Luke. Luke is one of four Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And today I'd like to give an overview of the book of Luke and some key themes that apply to our life. Today's message is titled, Anchored in Truth. And I want to start with just a few verses on the top, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And these next few moments before I jump into these four truths, I want to give us some handles or even just a framework for how do we read the Bible? How do we approach the Word of God so that it can change our lives? And, you know... When we read the Bible, we come from different vantage points, we come from different backgrounds, different cultures, different places in our journey spiritually. So there's some very key practices and tools that will help us read the Bible and apply it to our lives. And I'm gonna unpack some of that. So I'm gonna ask you, like Stacy did last weekend, if you were here to engage your mind on the front end of the message and listen to some of these tools so that we can walk away and apply them to our lives. Luke chapter one, beginning in verse one. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used eyewitness reports circulating among us from early disciples. Now, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. Now, this is the Gospel of Luke. He's writing about Jesus, and he wants to help Theophilus understand the teachings and the life of Jesus. And I I love Luke because I can relate to him in so many ways. Luke actually wasn't a part of the inner circle with Jesus. He wasn't one of the early disciples. He came a little bit later in terms of his 
jumping onto the scene and writing about Jesus. And so when you read it, it's like, okay, this guy wasn't in the inner circle, but he still had a role to play in the next generation. And I remember in 1980, or sitting in the first a membership class as they were talking about the starting of Saddleback Church in 1980. So it was my first membership class. And Pastor Rick was talking, and there was this video that was playing. And I felt like I was missing out on the beginning of this church. And I remember thinking, man, I, I so wish I could have been a part at the beginning. And then it was almost as if God said into my heart, Andy, you couldn't have been. You weren't born in 1980. So... <laughs> You know, you, you missed out on the beginning, but here you are now in the next generation. And Luke is a little bit like that. He had, he had some things probably to overcome, but he still writes this gospel not having been one of the original 12. Now, when we read the Bible and we open up a book of the Bible, it's important to understand where that book sits. Because the Bible is more than just a book. The Bible is a library of books. So this is the immerse. New Living Translation version of the Bible that we're gonna pass out to everyone who takes the challenge. But any Bible that you open that goes from Genesis to Revelation, it is a library of books. And I want you to imagine, there's gonna come on the screen some categories. When you walk into a library, I don't know if anybody goes to libraries anymore, by the way. If we have some librarians, God bless you, we're grateful for you. But there are very few libraries. There used to be more of them. And you'd go into a library, and when you go into a library, there are sections of the library or genres of books. And you go to a genre of books, you might go to a historical section of books. You, you might go to a, a section of nonfiction books. We believe this whole thing is nonfiction, by the way, in case you're wondering, with genres. But the genres of the Bible, those different genres inside of them would be a handful, often more than two, three, four, but there are books that set inside of a genre, and each of those books, when we open in our modern translations, what we see is chapters and verses. So if you're new to this whole thing, you'll see a number, colon, another number. The first number is the chapter, the second number is the verse. And those numbers have been inserted later after the fact. So when people wrote the Bible, like when the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus, he didn't write Ephesians chapter one, verse one, colon, colon, you know, praise be to God the Father. He didn't do it that way. So he wrote the words, and then like a house that has addresses, we later came back and put those addresses in so that we know where to locate in the Bible. But they would just have scrolls. So they would unroll the scroll, and they would kind of figure out where they were based upon where in the scroll they were, how far it had been unrolled. So the genre leads to a book that leads to a chapter that leads to a verse. And sometimes we can extract, extract a verse from the Bible and not understand the context in which the book, the, the verse was written. So I said this a couple of weeks ago. There's this one verse that says, uh, God's speaking. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and bless you. Now this was written by Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. And if you know the context that it sits in, Jeremiah is writing to the Israelites, and God says to the Israelites, you're going to spend 70 years in exile, and I have a wonderful plan for your life. So when you read it in context, it gives you more perspective. So genre has a couple of questions. The first one is, what type of book is it? So we want to know, what type of book are we reading? Here's some categories if you want to write them down. These are the major categories of genre in the Bible. There's law, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. There's history, 
So history, historical books would be First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings. They're, they're written from a historical perspective so that we can know what God is like and how God's interacted with humans historically. There's poetry and wisdom, so the Psalms and Proverbs, you know, the King David would say, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. And in the original language, often the poetry is even more beautiful than we can see in our language, but Psalms is a version of poetry, Ecclesiastes is, Proverbs is a form of wisdom, so you have poetry and wisdom books, third category, prophecy, so the prophetic books would be small, they call them minor prophets, or major, like Ezekiel is this long prophetic book. There's prophecy, and then in the New Testament there are gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and those are about the life of Jesus, and then there are letters that were distributed. So these letters would be like Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote letters to the churches, and then they multiplied and were spread. These genres, when we understand them, help us know when we come to the book, there's some key questions that we need to be asking. And the next question that is super important is, who wrote it? So when I read most of the books of the Bible, we, we know historically who wrote those books of the Bible. Now, we believe that God actually inspired people and the scriptures were carried along by humans. So through the Holy Spirit, he, he wrote his word, but he used humans to make it happen. So I wanna know who wrote it and then who did they write it to? So there's always an intended audience. And you can think of this like in the New Testament where it says First and Second Corinthians in the New Testament. That letter was written to the church at Corinth. So when Paul would write, he had an audience in mind. The Bible has an audience in mind and there's a question that's important to say, well why did they write it to that group of people? The, these questions give us perspective. Sometimes we can misassume that the Bible was written to us. The Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. And if we understand who it was written to, then we can know more clearly what is for us and how we apply it to our lives. So it is packed with God's values and who he is and what he's like, and it's all true, but understanding context helps us apply it to our lives. Now, I wanna come back with all that frame, and I want us again to look at what Luke says now through that filter. So Luke chapter one, Luke says, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used eyewitness reports circulating among us from early disciples. Now, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, Luke is a doctor, so he's very precise and he's attentive to details. And so he's gone on his own research project to come up with the, the, the story of Jesus and understand it and write it. He says, I also now have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus. So there's this guy Theophilus on the other side that's reading. And Luke wants Theophilus when he opens this scroll. This is what he wants him to experience. He says, Theophilus, I've done this so that you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. So you see very clearly Luke is trying to help Theophilus understand the certainty that with security he can stand in confidence around the life of Jesus. The things that he's been taught are true. And I want you in your notes to take that line that says, so that you can be certain of truth, of the truth of everything you were taught. Just underline that phrase, so that you can be certain of the truth 
of everything that you were taught. God wants us to have a level of certainty and clarity about truth. This is why we're doing the Anchored Life Challenge. This is why we're focusing on the Bible because there's so much information that is coming at us from the media to the news outlets that we read. And often that news information or that, that me, the media that when we hear it, sometimes we're so confused. What is true? And that perspective of truth is very important. We many times bring to truth our own experiences. And we'll say things in our culture. We've got little axioms like, man, just go with your truth, bro. And you gotta think about that phrase for a second. Like if my truth is I don't like gravity and I walk to the top of a building and it's like, well, my truth is not gravity. Bro, if you walk off the building, you're gonna die. So you figure out your truth, but there's an ultimate truth that supersedes it. It's kind of like with artificial intelligence. You guys kind of pay attention to AI and the emergence of it or virtual reality. A couple weeks ago, we were trying to figure out what to do with the kids on a Friday night and it's hard to get all my kids to agree on an activity, so we're like, well, let's, let's go to a VR, virtual reality arcade, which was stupid, it was a bad choice, because at the end of it, I, I'm, I had a miserable experience. Now, I, I'm glad to do things that I don't enjoy for my kids, but you go into the, the VR arcade, and the, the music's like, so, you know, for an ADHD person that already has like, lots of noises in their head, and then the lights are all over the place, like strobe lights, and I'm already dizzy, and then they hand you these glasses. They're like, well, put those things on. So I walk over, they strap you into a seatbelt, like next to a pole, it's really fun. They put you next to a pole, they strap you into a seatbelt, and you put these glasses on, and you can do a lot of different things, like you can do a race car, and you sit in a car and you drive it, but this one was a game called Among Us, and there are all these different rooms, so you put the goggles on, and you start walking around, and, oh wait, there's a ledge there, don't walk off the ledge. <laughs> but you've got these glasses on, and literally, you look around, and it's like, a, it's like a room that you can see, and there are these big, puffy characters that look like cartoons, and I am so sick after like 30 seconds, I feel like I wanna throw up, that I have to take the goggles off, I can't, I can't play the game. But virtual reality is not reality. And sometimes when it comes to reading the Bible, we can misunderstand, we can think that because the Bible was written a really long period of time ago that it's not reality. But God's word, God's truth is firm, it's secure, it's, rel it's reliable for our lives, and it's almost as if when I read the Bible, I'm taking the goggles off so that I can see what is real and what is true. And God wants us to have that filter for reading scripture. It is his word, it is truth, and it's reliable. That's what Luke is saying to Theophilus. Now, I do feel like I have an alfalfa from those glasses and I just need to check it up there for a second, make sure it's down. So I wanna talk about four truths from Luke that you can anchor your life on. The first one that he gives to us is around what Jesus does with God's plan. Jesus fulfills God's plan to bring hope to our lives. So when Jesus came, he came to bring hope to the world. He came with the way that he lived and what he taught and the miracles he performed. He came to fulfill this long plan from the beginning of time that God had to redeem the world and bring it back to himself. 
And in chapter four of Luke, Jesus is in his hometown. He's in a synagogue, which is the, kind of their church and their culture. And it says, when he, Jesus, came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood town, he went in, as usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Now, if you read this, and you're in the first century, and you see Jesus opening the Bible, or opening their holy scriptures, which is our Old Testament, and reading it, this is normal, commonplace in the synagogue. But what Jesus does next is very important. So he takes the scroll, it says, he rolls it back up, verse 20, hands it back to the attendant, and sits down. At this point, everybody in the synagogue is looking at Jesus intently, and it says, then he began to speak to them, and he says this, the scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. He's saying, I am the one that all of the prophets have been speaking about. All that Isaiah would say in helping us understand that a Messiah would come, I am, he's saying, Jesus is speaking, I am the fulfillment of God's plan to bring hope to the world. So when you read the book, when you read God's word, to come to it with the filter or the lens that understands this is good news for our life. It's good that God would give us a book that changes our lives and helps us know him. And for those who receive it, it's called good news. The word gospel literally means to proclaim good news. It changes our perspective. If you think the Bible is bad news, it will impact the way that you read it. But if you believe that it is God's good news for your life that Jesus came to fulfill God's plan, it shifts your perspective. It's kind of like when my kids were young, whenever I would travel, I would bring home with me gifts. So if I went to Texas, I might bring them home cowboys gear, unless I decided I wanted to bless them, I wouldn't bring it, but I would bring maybe a cowboy hat or something like that. And when I would go to South Carolina, I might bring something, or overseas, I would bring something back. And my kids got used to me bringing gifts when I would come home. And something began to happen where every time I would walk through the front door, the kids would rush to the front door, they're like running towards me. And as soon as I come through the front door, it's not like, good to see you, we're glad you're home, we love you. It was, what'd you bring me, Dad? <laughs> and it was great for a little while, but then eventually I was like, I got an idea. So one time I was on the way home, I was like, oh, this time I'm not gonna get them anything. They'll be happy to see me. So I walked through the front door and when they rushed to the door and I'm like, what'd you, they said, what did you get me? I said, I got you me. I'm your gift. I wanna give you a hug. And they weren't happy. But <laughs> the, the point is, when you read the Bible, God is the gift. God is the one who, when he opens the door, he says, the gift is me. And Jesus is the one who's come to restore our hearts back to the Heavenly Father, and he came as good news. He came to fulfill the Father's plan and ultimately to transform our lives. 
as he was fulfilling this grand plan. Now, sometimes when you read the Bible, it doesn't change your life. Sometimes you can sit in a church service and hear the teachings of Jesus and hear the Bible being taught and it not transform you. And that's why the second thing that Luke highlights, that I wanna highlight from Luke is very important, that Jesus changes our lives when we apply his teaching. So you can listen to teaching, but if it doesn't get applied to your life, it doesn't transform you. The Sermon on the Mount was Jesus' most famous sermon. In the book of Matthew it shows up, in the book of Luke it's a little bit shorter. But Jesus is teaching through the ways of the kingdom of God. This invitation that he was making to people to live into God's kingdom. And at the end of this teaching, where Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, I came to fulfill them. At the end of teaching people how to live in the kingdom of God, he makes this statement in Luke 6, 47. Jesus is speaking, he says, I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It's like a person who built their house, and they went deep, they, dig, they dug deep, and they laid a foundation on solid rock. Now, when the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it's well built. But anyone who hears and does not obey is like a person who builds right on the ground without a foundation, and when the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse with a heap of ruins. Now, I'm not into construction. You probably don't want me building things, but I know enough to know that a house without a foundation will stand. And what Jesus is saying is that when you listen to my teaching, it's like building on a foundation when you apply it to your life. But when you don't apply it, it's like a man who builds his house on the sand. A way to think about this, you might write this down, information plus application leads to transformation. So if I just sit and listen and listen and listen and get more knowledge and I get more information in my mind but it doesn't change my heart and the way that I live, it, it doesn't ultimately produce transformation. So I have to apply it to my life to experience transformation. Another way of thinking of this is information without application leads to stagnation. And sometimes in our lives, we're not moving forward with our faith because we're not applying the things that we already know to be true. I hired a, a trainer recently, and the trainer had me download an app for my phone. And so I download this app, and on the app, I open it up every day, and it's got these core habits that I'm supposed to kind of apply to my life my life, so I've got like 10,000 steps per day, which by the way, I'm only at 4,400, so I might pace a little bit more to catch up. And then it has like eat fruits and veggies and make sure you get enough fiber, and then it has a workout of the day. So I open up that workout of the day, and it has different exercises. Now here is my favorite way to work out. I like to go into the garage, I have a small gym there, I open up the app, and then I just memorize that workout for the day. So it'll say like, okay, three sets of bench press at this weight, two sets of rows at this weight. So I memorize it, I get it into my mind, and once I've memorized it, I turn around and walk back into the house and I don't do anything. <laughs> that is my favorite kind of workout right there. Now, you know that doesn't work. It doesn't, doesn't change the way I look. And it's so funny when you think about a workout to get it, in your mind but not do anything with your life. But when it comes to Jesus' teaching, sometimes this is the way that we live. 
There is a symbiotic relationship between your being and your doing. And often people will say things when they're teaching that, that they really don't mean that don't help us. Like sometimes people will say, you're not a human doing, you are a human being. And you're like, let me interpret it the way it sounds. You're not a human doing, you're a human being. I'm like, okay, well what does that mean? Does that mean I don't do anything? And the intent of that statement is like, well, as a creature who's a being, you know, if you only focus on your doing, you, you, you miss the point of relationship, which is true. But your being and your doing, they are intricately connected to one another. So if you lie over and over and over again, the way that you start to see yourself is as a liar. So Jesus would say things like, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So does that mean that if my heart doesn't feel like saying the right thing, I can just scream at my kids? It doesn't mean that. What Jesus is saying is it's a litmus to help you see what's on the inside. So by changing your heart's perspective, you change what you do, but by changing what you do, your heart begins to shift as well. So these two are constantly working together and the application with the truth leads our life to transformation. James would say, do not be merely hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Don't go to a mirror and look at it and walk away and forget what you look like. Walk away and apply what you've heard. Now, when it comes to application, our perspective on who God is and what God is like is very important. Because if we believe that God is coming through a filter of relationship, it changes the way that we read the Bible. See, this book right here is a relational book from a relational God. God has existed for all eternity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he's given us a book that at its core is relational and inviting us into relationship with himself. And that leads to the third point. Jesus invites us into a relationship with the Heavenly Father. When Jesus came, he came to invite us into relationship with the Heavenly Father. Now, Reward Sabanda is gonna come and teach this point. Will you welcome him as he comes to the stage? Man, Pastor Andy was uh, talking about fitness. You know, I'm all about fitness as well. You know, uh, fitness whole pizza in my mouth. <laughs> but uh, what I love about what he was talking about is, is simply this. The Bible invites us into a beautiful story, right? And we're all beings of stories, if, if, if you know what I'm talking about. There's a reason that Hollywood makes all the money that it does, because we're drawn to stories. And that's why I, I love the format of the Immerse, because it takes all these incredible and beautiful and formative stories that we know, and it gives them to us. And so um, as we go into this, we see all the stories. And Jesus was always telling stories, right? He called them parables. He, he tells incredible and compelling stories about the lost son. And uh, this particular one is one of my favorites that I'm about to read to you guys. And I call it the parable of the potluck, right? And here's what it says. Um, in Luke 14, verse 16 to 24, it says, Jesus replied with a story. It says, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses, right? If you're cool in this room, you've never had to experience this. But for the rest of us, there are times where people make excuses when you invite them. But my, the one thing I ask for is, if you're going to make an excuse, at least try. Because listen, y'all, these people were not even trying. 
It says, one said, I've just bought a field and I must inspect it. So I'm just gonna go look at an empty field then come to uh, your party. Here's another one. Another one said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Basically, it's like, hey, I'd rather hang out with five cows than come hang out uh, with you. I don't know if they'd seen the menu or I don't know if he had posted on his stories that he has an iguana and he, he lets it like lick the spoon when he's prepared, whatever it is, they were not showing up. And, and here's another one. It says, hey, please excuse me, another said, I just got married so I can't come. Now, this one I, I, I resonate with, you know what I'm saying? Because if you're recently married, you know, you want to go spend time with your wife. You want to go do a lot of, of fun things. Everything is fun. I still remember when I got married, you know, my wife would be like, hey, we have a fun family activity to do. It was just me putting together IKEA furniture. But <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed that. You know, the only place where I drew the line was when it came to football because uh, we tried it once and she sat through the whole thing and asked a thousand questions. And halfway through, started making fun of my cowboys and is making fun of our quarterback. Is his name Dak or Whack or whatever it is? So there's things like that. But I understand this one, right? Because they just couldn't make it. And here's what it says. And it says, the servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And after the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. You know what I love about what Jesus is doing? He's giving us a window into the nature of our Father. It's like, hey, my dad loves people. My father sets tables, right? Every other religion, you know, we, they set gods for their, uh, tables for their gods, but our God is a relationship. He sets a table for us, and he invites, no matter how broken or crippled you are, you can come and sit at my father's table. And I love this because as we go through the word, when we read this, we see that Jesus is showing us the heart of his father. Right? There's this statement in John, John 1:18, which I love, and this is what it says. It says, no one has seen God at any time the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. And it's as we go through those beautiful scriptures that we see the culture and the character of this God. But beyond that, we see what Pastor Andy was talking about, that he's not just inviting us into a religion. No, it's a relationship and it's a friendship. And here's the thing. The greatest metric for friendship is invitation. Here, you have a reason to question the validity of your friendship with somebody. If you go on social media and they invited everybody else to an event except you. They even invited the creepy guy from the other cubicle and he was there and you were not there. You can show up and say, hey, I, I thought we were friends. Why? Because friends invite. And that's what I love about this, that Jesus is inviting us into this relationship with the Father. Because when we come close through the Scripture, we see that, hey, it's beautiful. And this God that maybe we thought was a scary punisher, no, he's a God who desires a friendship with us. Because here's what I'll tell you, right? That invitation is greater than obligation every single time, right? There are places that we're obligated to go to, 
But then there are places where we just enjoy the invitation. And I noticed this when I recently got married, that there was a place, and out of friendship and intimacy, that my wife invited me to. And it's a place where she finds therapeutic and it's a peaceful place for her. And it's this place right here. <laughs> now, <laughs> the first time she invited, it was an invitation. Hey, come with me. And because I was newly married, I was like, yes, I'll go. And I walked, and I was like, oh, look at this. Wow. Oh, look at this. Wow. And I'm enjoying the experience with her. And I'm doing, un until I noticed something that, uh, at first it started as an invitation, but I think you just wanted me to, uh, to carry all this stuff. I, I don't like this place because, hey, it, when it started, you know, my wife will be like excited and everything's like, oh my gosh, look, it's 50% off. And I'm like, no, babe, it's 100% of money that I didn't want to spend, you know. <laughs> and so I'm walking with her in this place. And after a while, I was like, I, you know what, I don't want to do it. I, I just don't want to do it. And that's when it changed from being an Im invitation to an obligation. It's like, I, you got to come. I'm like, why? To carry all the stuff. What stuff? You only said you wanted to pick up milk, right? But what it was is, hey, when I started going there, I noticed that what started as a beautiful invitation became an obligation. I'll go to Costco because they got all the, the samples and everything, but this place <laughs> was a little different. And I feel like that's what Jesus is trying to capture in these particular scriptures, right? He's saying it's an invitation. And as we read this Bible, because the church is doing it, because your friends are doing it, don't ever approach it from the lens of obligation because you miss the beautiful love letter that this scripture is. And Pastor Andy shared an image that he always has when he reads this to where it's Jesus standing and inviting him and saying, hey, come, come, come on this beautiful journey. It's going to be fun. There's so many good things. What I want to challenge every single one of you guys is simply this. God is calling you into a relationship and you get to see his nature and his character through his word. And the fourth point that Pastor Andy is coming back up to share is what it's really about. Jesus wants our surrender, not our perfection. Pastor Andy. Thank you. you know, as you think about opening the Bible, every one of us, when we open the Bible, we bring to the Bible our experiences. We bring to the Bible all the things about ourselves that we wish were different. And this last point about Jesus wanting our surrender, not our perfection, is one of the most important components of continuing to come back to the Bible, continuing to come back to God. Because if we're honest with ourselves, there are moments where the things in our life that are not the way that we want them to be can become the very thing that keep us from the God who can change us and transform our lives. Jesus, when he was hanging on a cross, in Luke chapter 23, he's hanging between two criminals. He's paying the price for the sins of the world. These guys on the left and the, guys, the guy on the right, both of them have lived lives that they deserve to die for their sins. But Jesus, between the two of them, he's perfect in all of his ways. He's paying the penalty and the price of sin so that we can be forgiven. And one criminal in verse 39 it says, the one hanging beside him scoffed, you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself, and us too, while you're at it. Now the other one, the other criminal on the other side protested, don't you fear God? Even when you have been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, 
Today you will be with me in paradise. This seems so scandalous that Jesus hanging on a cross next to a criminal would say after this man has lived this horrendous life to say that you're forgiven and you'll spend eternity with me in paradise. Yet Jesus in that moment took as much of that guy's life that he could surrender to him and used that little bit of faith to give him the promise of eternity, relationship with God. Jesus took as much of this man as he could surrender and he used it. And God will do that to give as much of myself to God as as much of him as I understand is really the journey. It's not a journey of coming before him with my perfection, it's a journey of coming before him, surrendering based on what I know about him and then trusting over time that he'll transform me. Now I've been reading the Bible for over 25 years. I remember having a student pastor when I was in eighth grade and he took a group of, of young middle school boys and he said, I'm gonna teach you how to read the Bible. Now, on Sunday nights, we normally would have our gathering and we would play middle school games together. And I remember when Mike Bonzer told us we were gonna learn how to read the Bible, all the middle school boys are like, we wanna play games. But that one habit God has used to change my life in such a powerful way. I am so grateful for the Bible. I'm so grateful that a living God would give us a living book that can provide hope and strength to our lives. There are so many moments where I've been at rock bottom and God has met me in my opening of the Bible to speak to me. Now, there are moments where, like Stacy said last week, where it feels like you're opening and you're not really receiving and it's not changing you, but this constant journey consistently over time transforms our life. But this last point is so important. The other day I was walking down the stairs and my son coming downstairs, both at the same time, first thing in the morning, and I'm about to go read the Bible. And as I'm coming downstairs to read the Bible, he goes into the kitchen, I come into the kitchen as well, and he opens the cupboard, and in our cupboard there's two cup types of cups. There's like the normal cups that you order online for four bucks, and everybody uses them and they get broken all the time. And then there's another set of really expensive cups that we only use for special occasions. He goes for the expensive cup. I haven't said good morning to him. I haven't said I love you, good to see you. I just said, why in the world are you using that cup? <laughs> and then I walk away and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go read the Bible. And <laughs> I sat down and I was like, oh my goodness, again. And maybe you felt that before. There's so much inside of us. There's so much imperfection. The more I know God, the more I see the gap between his perfection and all of my brokenness. And the reality is, if I allow that brokenness to keep me from God, I'll never open the Bible. God is inviting you. He's saying, come, read this book and get to know me and let me change you. I'm not asking for your perfection. I'm asking you to come as you are. And over time, I will change you. The invitation today is to say yes to open the book. The invitation is to say for the next eight weeks, I'm gonna read through the New Testament. Some of you, you've wanted to read the Bible for a long period of time, but you've never taken that step. Some of you, in your mind, you're thinking, well, that's for really religious people. And I would say to you, you don't have to have a spiritual pedigree. You don't have to have a background. You can come as you are, open this book, and say yes for the next eight weeks to let God use it to help you get to know him and change your life. And I wanna challenge you right now to take that step. 
I wanna challenge you to say yes, I'm gonna take the Anchored Life Challenge. Now this challenge is not just a challenge to read through the Bible. You know, some of us, perhaps we might do it online, our app online, the Saddleback app has all the audio version of it, so if you prefer audio, you can do it that way. But most importantly, is that we would do it in the context of community. And so the invitation is to say yes to the Anchored Life Challenge to read for the next eight weeks, and then the second part of that is to say I'll do it in the context of a group. We're calling these book clubs. And today you can sign up. And for every person that makes a decision to say yes to this challenge, to get into a book club, read through the New Testament, we're giving away. Thank you for listening to this weekend message from Saddleback Church. If you like this, please consider leaving a rating or review for this podcast. The Saddleback Church Weekend Message Podcast is a part of the Saddleback family of podcasts. Visit saddleback.com slash podcasts or search for Saddleback Church in your favorite podcasting app to see more great podcasts from Saddleback. For more Weekend Message resources, visit saddleback.com slash message resources.